Well, um, super thankful that you are here in this Labor Day weekend. We have a very um, amazing text to go through. It's really a Christmas text, if you notice it. Uh, uh, the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. So Merry Christmas, everyone, in September. All right? Uh, but we are going through the Gospel of John. We are working our way through the Gospel of John, and this is the text that we have, have today. And um, this is an amazing text because it's talking about the doctrine of the incarnation. You say, Cody, why did you even just use those words? Why, did you, why, why start off the sermon like that? I've heard so many people that have shared with me, it's like, hey, whenever you come and you be a pastor in Wichita Falls in the Bible Belt, don't fill, them up, don't fill their heads up with just doctrine. That, that's not what we need. We need to be inspired. We need to be encouraged. We need, we need K-love on Sunday morning, right? Positive and encouraging. That's what, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need to, to rouse everyone up so that they leave inspired and ready to go conquer the world and go share the gospel with the, uh, their coworkers and go be sweeter to their families and be better fathers, be better mothers, be better sons and daughters, be better roommates at Midwestern State University. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I want to treat you as adults. <laughs> Uh, and that includes uh, our, our teenagers that are uh, members in our congregation. I want to treat you as ad adults, and I want to call you to maturity. And so uh, what we see here in the doctrine of the incarnation is it's kind of like uh, the missing chapter of all of human history and your life as well. It's the missing, missing chapter. It's the thing that we are made for. It's the thing that if we don't get, nothing else will make sense. I've talked to so many people that have said, you know what, I don't like The Office. You know, a TV show that was British and now American, which really only been American, was that it's USA, USA, okay, nine. I said, you can't like, you can't, I know I'm only preaching to like a couple of nerds in here, of The Office, because I only watched the last two seasons. Well, Michael Scott was in the first seven seasons, and it's the, the character that the entire show hinges around. They were just on life support for the last two seasons, and if you don't get it, if you don't get it, it's because you didn't know the main character. You didn't understand the main purpose of the story. You didn't know what everything centered around, that why it was even a story to begin with. In the same way, the incarnation of Jesus, if you don't get this, if you don't understand it, then nothing in your life, nothing in the history of the world will even be able to be pieced together for you. It's the missing chapter. It's the missing chapter in all that we are, are, are trying to understand. And so we have to get this thing right. We have to understand. We have to understand that Jesus, Jesus, look at what it says. The word, the word that, that spoke everything into existence. The word that, as Colossians tells us, everything was made for him and by him and through him. Genesis 1.1 and 1.2 says, or 1.3 rather said, in the Lord spoke and he said, let there be light. John is telling us that that creative power, that word itself was Jesus Christ, was Jesus. He was wrapped up in the person, uh, the three persons of the Trinity from all of existence. This is the power of God. This is the power of God. And then all of a sudden, it became flesh. It became flesh and it dwelt among us. The myth became fact. The, leg the great legend of old became reality. The, the word that we have been seeking that we lost in the fall of the Garden of, uh, of Eden with Adam and Eve has now returned. The return of the king has come. 
And I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be confused about the purpose of who you are because it all hinges on the doctrine of the incarnation. Because if you think about it, uh, there's two main reasons for our text today. Number one, that Jesus came to earth, the great God man came to earth, and that uh, is an amazing truth. And number two, he came to earth for his glory came to earth for his glory. So he came to earth. We have to grasp that and we have to understand why, which is for his glory. If you think about all the great themes of the great stories of our day, Lion King, right? What happened? Uh, Mufasa, you know, everything fell apart whenever he's trying to save Simba. And the king, should he should have taken it up his rightful place as king, but no, he ran away and then Scar was in charge of everything, and everything fell into ruin. And then the return of the king, what happened? It restored order, and there was beautiful. And the grass grew again. The sun came out again. You know, every, everything was different as soon as Simba took his rightful place as, as the king. Douglas MacArthur, my grandpa always used to tell me stories about Douglas MacArthur, who was a great war hero and general uh, who, who left the Philippines and had to retreat from the Philippines during the Second World War to, Um, Second World War, and he said, I shall return. And guess what? He did return. He liberated the Philippines. um, And uh, we love that story. Uh, uh, The entire Lord of the Rings story, it's held together by what? It's all held together by when is he going to come and restore the kingdom? When is the rightful king going to go and sit on the right throne, the throne that is above every other thrones? This this is the, the motif of the human of the human existence. It, it's, the, it's the climax of all the great stories of our day. Why? Why? Because it's part, it's telling the truer and better story. It's showing in shadow the truer and better story of our life, which is we're waiting for the king to sit on the throne. Even now, as we're waiting for Jesus, as we're waiting for Jesus to come again, which he promises to do, what do we know then? He will sit, enemies are going to be under his feet, and he is going to be uh, exercising perfect perfect righteousness, perfect sovereignty over everything. So we're still waiting for him. There's something in the great stories that we hear um, in, in our day that are trying to communicate the magnitude of the longing that's in, within our human heart that we desire for the God that made us to sit on the throne, whether that's the throne of human existence or the throne of our heart. This is the great storyline that we try to understand. And verse 18 says, all of a sudden he has returned. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's right, right hand, and then he being God has made him being Christ known. It's the incarnation. It's the return of the king. It's Simba coming, coming back. It's Aslan melting away the eternal, uh, the eternal winter of the white witch. Every single, every single story is just ripping off the, the main arc story, the main story that we are made for, which is Jesus Christ and him coming back to restore the order of all of our sin. It's the missing chapter of your life. Have you received it? Do you know it? Do you cherish it? Do you delight in it? Are you waking up every single day as if the king has returned? Is he on the throne of your heart right now? Yes or no? Is he sitting, is he sitting there returned, restored? Because here's the thing. This is what God is calling all of us to, whether you're a believer or a non-believer in this room right now. 
He's calling us to let the king sit on the throne of every human heart. The dwelling place of God is with man. This is where he is trying to reside. Psalm 96, the Bible puts it very, very interestingly. It talks about whenever the, the return of the king comes. And Psalm 96, 11 through 13 says this, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field, um, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees in the forest sing for joy before the Lord, he, for he comes. It says all of creation is going to celebrate the return of the king. Here's it. He's returning for us. And the question is, are we celebrating the return of the king? He's coming back for us. And it says all of creation yearns for this moment. Romans 8. Are we, are we yearning for it the same way? The same way that all of creation is going to yearn for it. Because he's coming for our heart. He's coming for our heart. And the main, main question that you have to answer before you leave today, where is Jesus is he still on the cross or is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Because if, if he's still on the cross, that mean, you know what that means? It means that you have not submitted to the lordship of him. You look at the cross and you look at him with disdain and you just say, that's ugly, that's, that's hideous. I don't know if I understand it. He's over there. But you've got to say, the crucified, resurrected one resides through faith in my heart. And he now sits on the throne. Is that true for you? Is that true for you? Because the story of the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation is the story that you were made for. It's the story that you're living in right now. It's happening on a cosmic level and it's happening on an individual level. Um, you need to realize it on the cosmic level. It's the reason why we, we love all these stories, but have you received it? Is it effectual on the individual level for you? You say, Cody, well, sure, Jesus has come. This sounds very, very elementary. Did you know that every single book of the Bible was written to, in the New Testament, all the Pauline epistles were written to Christians? They were written to, to Christians, right? To the church that is in Ephesus. You think there were Christians in that church? Yes. <laughs> there was Christians in that church. And what does he do in every single one of his epistles? What does Paul do? How does he start them? Hey, guys, what's up? I'm just trying to... Um, check in on y'all. How are you? How are you? How are you doing? No, no. He says, "Let me spend the first two thirds of every single letter reminding you of the gospel, reminding you to treasure Christ above all, reminding you that He has come, that He died for your sins, that He resurrected from the dead, and that you can live for Him now, and you can live in relationship with Him now. That every single day He wants you to treasure Him, to delight in Him, to talk to Him." To, to treat him like he's alive today. To treat him like he's alive. That you have a, a real relationship with him. He spent the first two-thirds of every single one of his um, books proclaiming the gospel. So this is for us. This is for us. We can't go beyond this. The gospel is for Christians. And the gospel is for non-Christians. Because the same way that you are saved is the same way that we grow. Does that make sense? The same way that you are saved is the same way that you are sanctified. is by dwelling deeper and deeper into the, the good news of the gospel. This is the truth that all other truths are pointing to. So, is your heart trusting in it? Is your heart trusting that Jesus came for you? 
He came for your family. He came for this church. He came for this city. He came for your neighbors. Have you gripped that? Have you put that into your heart deeply? When you wake up in the morning, do you write it down somewhere where the very first place that you're going to go, look to Jesus, you were made for it. Today you were made for him. We have to. Or, listen, our heart pursues something always. We do not just coast to to something. Our heart will find something to worship. It will find something to pursue. It does it naturally. It's almost out of control. We can't control how much our heart will pursue something. So what is your heart trusting in right now, Redeemer? Is it trusting in Jesus? Is it trusting in antibodies? Is it trusting in natural immunity? Is it trusting in masks? Is it trusting in midterm elections? Is it trusting in YouTube? In the morning, YouTube. In the evening, YouTube at supper time. Um, is it trusting in TikTok and Instagram and phones and computers and screens? Is it trusting in a relationship? Is it trusting in trying to figure out who you're going to spend the rest of your life, life with? What is your heart trusting in? What is it trusting in? Is it Jesus Because if it's not Jesus continually, if you don't constantly turn, oh, I got to look to him, oh, I got to look to him, oh, I got to look to him, then it will pursue, it will pursue something that your heart desires. It's part of being a human being. We can't get away from this. And so we will find something. Do you know that every single person in this room, look at me, eye contact, every single person in this room is an evangelist about something. Every single person in this room cares so much about something to where it captures the imagination of your heart. And guess what? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth does what? It speaks. And whenever we are, whatever you are speaking about, what's the, what's the natural thing that you go and talk to someone at, at Collective about? What's the natural thing you go and talk to someone at the coffee shop about? That's the thing that your heart is pursuing right now. That's the thing that your heart seems, sees as worthy of worship. Worthy of worship. See, Cody, that seems a little extreme. Like, you know, like you're wrapping everything up in like religious language. Yes, because the Bible does it. The Bible does it. It says there's no neutral human being. Our hearts are always moving forward. Our hearts are always pursuing something. And from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you speaking about? What, do you, what, what gets talked about around your kitchen table? What gets talked about with your kids? Is it Jesus? I pray it is. I pray it is. And listen, one of these, this is one of those things where we just need to constantly look to Christ. We're going this way. We realize that we're not pursuing him. And then we, we say, oh, God, I'm not looking towards you. I'm not feasting on your word. I'm not anything. I just need to turn, look to Christ, and remember. Remember, he is the father. He is the father that runs after you. Uh, sometimes whenever I chase my kids, uh, especially, they're all disobedient at this point, but <laughs> sometimes they will defiantly run away from me. And uh, sometimes I more sternly pursue them. Sometimes I more lovingly and jokingly and kind of graciously pursue them. But most of the times whenever I'm pursuing them, let's, especially Cannon, who's the, the one-year-old that's about yay high. All right, whenever he's running away, he has no idea I'm behind him. He has no idea He is in his own little world pursuing the thing that his heart desires, whether that be disobedient. Dad told me to do this. I'm going to go do this. Or Paw Patrol is on. Or, you know, there's a snack on the floor. There's some popcorn from three days ago over there on the floor. I'm going to go pick that up. Whatever it is, his heart is after it. But whenever he turns around, he doesn't know that, oh, I'm right there to pick him up. 
Do you know that's how Jesus pursues you and I? We think that we're running far away from him, but he is always a loving father that is right there to pick us up as soon as we turn. Run to this good God. Run to him because he, he has incarnated himself for you, for you, so he can sit on the throne of your heart, so he can sit on the throne of your heart and be magnified as holy, magnified as holy, which leads me to the second point. Why? Why did he do this? Now, I've talked about he did it for you, but that is not the penultimate thing that he did it for. Why did God decide to reveal himself? He did it for his glory. Say, Cody, that kind of, oh, oh, I don't know if that sits well with me. God did something for his own sake. God wanted to reveal himself for his own glory. That sounds narcissistic. That sounds self-centered. That sounds like uh, he's not, it sounds like, what's up with that? do all that stuff. It sounds like he's all about him. What's up with that? Is, is this a good God? Is that a good attribute? And listen, we only think that because we live in a postmodern society, a postmodern society that thinks that we need to have empathy for every other person's perspective, which goes into this glory category, goes into the glory category of just like, we need to be empathetic whenever other people pursue different glories for themselves. We need to be empathetic about that, right? Um, maybe God is pursuing his glory, but he needs to expand his mind, and he needs to, he needs to open up and, and, you know, kind of be inclusive about other people are going to pursue their own glory, and that's just cool. Like, they do them. That, that's good for them, maybe. And God says, absolutely not. There is an objective truth here, an objective truth that, listen, listen, you need to get this deep into your heart. Why did God reveal this? Why did God reveal himself? for his own glory, and why is that good news? Because listen, if God pursued anything else other than the manifestation of his own glory, then God himself would be an idolater. He himself, he himself would say, something else is worthy of my attention, focus, and energy, and effort, and then all of Christianity would fall apart. It would be just like all the, all the other religions. It, it, it wouldn't have God as ultimate and supreme. This is, this is what we have to understand. God is for God, and that is for our good. God is for God, and that is for our good. Do you know um, that uh, God doesn't share the way that we do? He doesn't share the way that we do. He's saying, like, well, isn't it good for God to like maybe share some glory or something like that? And it's like, the, the way that we would share like a, a meal or a crumble cookie or something like, hey, neighbors, someone brought over four crumble cookies. I could only eat three of them, even though you would die, I think, if you ate three of them. Um, but we have one left, and we just thought, and we'd try to be neighborly and give this to you. And it's like, what are we doing? We're giving away some of our glory, some of our crumbled cookies, right? God doesn't share like that. God shares, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. God kind of shares like if you know someone that has a 90-inch TV, you know, that, that curves or whatever with the QLED. I don't even know what the Q is, you know, like, um, but it's really nice TV. And God, how he shares, he says, come over with me, sit down on my couch and watch the Texas Tech football game with me. Watch the, the, the UT game with me. Watch the college football game with me. 
Why don't you sit down and watch, and then whenever you leave, guess what? You're not going to take the TV with you. You just kind of got to share the enjoyment and the pleasure of the thing that I have, the thing that I have. That's how he shares with us. And that's why it's good news for God to only be for God, because what he has to share with us is himself. It's himself. You know, you're not going to heaven. Listen to me. You're not going to heaven. If you go to hell uh, with, uh, you know, all those sinners over here, you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy. You know, like, of course, someone's going to say, I I want heaven. Uh, The the other thing sounds really, really bad. Okay. You're not going to go to heaven because uh, you made a decision a long time ago saying hell sounds really bad. Heaven sounds really good. You're not going to go to heaven because you're like, I want to go to heaven because grandpa there or grandma is there or, or uh, this loved one is there. You're, if that's your pursuit of heaven, guess what? You might not, listen, I, I, I'm saying this intensely, but I'm saying this because I love you. And I want us to wake up about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You might not be going to heaven if you desire to see someone else other than Jesus there. You might not be going to heaven. Because the thing that God is sharing through his glory is himself. It's himself. We get to share him. We get to be with him. We get to delight in him. Is this at the center of our lives? Remember when Moses, you know, had had that great mountaintop experience? We preached about this whenever we um, went through Exodus 33 uh, at the beginning of the year. He had this great mountaintop experience. And what did he say? God, I love you so much. This is amazing. Show me your glory. Show it to me. What, how did God respond? <laughs> kind of laughed, chuckled a little bit. You have no idea what you're asking. <laughs> you have no idea. If I showed you my glory, you would die. You have no chance. No chance to stand in my presence, to stand in the presence of my glory. We are so different. God is for God and we are for other things. What are we for? We're for our own influence and recognition. We're for... Um, Everything going out uh, according to our plan. We're for uh, our own comfort. We're, going, we're, we're living for our, our, our pleasure. We're living for things that are at the self. We want to be at the center, not God. And God says, if you put anything other than me at the center of your life, you cannot stand before me, Moses. And I know your heart. Your heart is open before me. But this is the amazing truth that whenever Jesus came in the incarnation, Whenever he came in the incarnation, he says, now you can behold my glory. Whenever we see Christ, whenever we receive Christ through faith in the finished work of Jesus' life in our place, his death in our place, and his resurrection for our sins, whenever we receive that into our heart, guess what? We have a front row seat to the glory of God. A front row seat to the glory of God. This is amazing. This is amazing. And what John is sharing with us right here is that that's what we have in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to behold. We get to behold the treasured delightness of God and his glory. The same glory that would have killed Moses is now, is now the thing that we get to behold through faith in, in Jesus. So here is the incarnation the incarnation, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld, we got to behold his glory. And now we're chasing after that glory, are we not? We, we try to live life moment by moment, right? In, in uh, our hedonistic culture, 
says, you know what, you know, like you just, you do, you do you and you pursue this, this next thing or whatever. I remember, um, remember the first time I held hands with a, a girl in sixth grade. I don't even think mom and dad know this story and they're sitting right here. Uh, <laughs> Sixth grade, on the bus, going to like a band concert, and I, I had all this peer pressure. It's like, hey, Taylor King likes you. I was like, Taylor King, are you kidding me? Oh, man. And it was like, I was like one month out from not thinking girls were yucky anymore. And so I was just like, I was trying to deal with all these feelings and stuff, 12 years old. I was like, I bet she would, someone told me, I bet she would hold your hand if you ask her. And I was just like, I don't think I'm ready for that kind of commitment. And... <laughs> And uh, I, Taylor King, it might have been Deanna McKinney. But that's, it, that's, it, that's, that's irrelevant, all right? Totally irrelevant. And uh, I went in for the move. I was like, hey, can, can we hold hands? And I think my voice cracked in the middle of that. And I, I grabbed her hands, and it, it was like buckets of water were coming out of my hands. Absolute buckets, like a water hose just hit her hand. Um, I don't even know what her hand felt like. It was just water. It was just a puddle. It was like we were holding hands underwater. And, um, and I thought, all right, I guess this is what love feels like. I guess this is it, you know? And, and like every, every other like experience I had after that with a, like having feeling, like thinking this girl is cute or whatever, it was compared to this like penultimate like moment of holding hands with this other person. And in our culture, what do we do? We, we, we desire moment after moment after moment, and not, not, not just in these relationships, but we're looking for things to make our heart palpitate. We're looking for things to make our heart soar. What are we doing in that? We're pursuing glory. We're pursuing glory. Living moment by moment, second by second, that's what, that's what we're doing. And listen, the glory... <laughs> that we experience and, you know, the little jolt of a heart where we think we're seeing, liking someone or something like that is, that's like, it's like a dew drop compared to the ocean of God's glory that he wants us to live for. The ocean of God's glory that he wants us to live for. How do we do that? By beholding Christ in every single moment of every day. And you say, Cody, How? How? Well, I think, one, you're going to be disappointed with me. Because um, how do we do this? Spiritual formation. All of us have times that we get up and we go to work. We get up and go to class. We go to school. We organize and structure our time. We, we organize, typically, if you're married, you, you're, you organize your meals around things. We're very good at organizing things. Why are we not good at organizing our time around Jesus? Why are we not? because our hearts pursue other things. We're in survival mode. I, th- I think the number one thing that we can do if we want to live for God's glory is we've got to say, hey, I have an appointment at this time every single day. And it might be a different time during the day because your work schedule might be different. Sometimes I have six o'clock meetings. Sometimes I don't have six o'clock meetings. So that means my time where Jesus has to, to vary a little bit. And he shouldn't seek perfectionism whenever you're trying to pursue Christ. You should just do what works. You should try to delight and treasure Jesus. I just had to repent to my wife this week, two days ago, and say, honey, I've been coasting. I've been coasting with you and the kids, and I'm sorry. Men, women, spouses, look at me. Don't you think it's time to do the same? Say, I'm sorry. As for 
me and this house, we're going to pursue the Lord. College students, you and your roommates, if you're followers of Jesus, you have this built-in accountability. To, do, do your roommates know when you meet with God? Why not? Why not? We live for his glory. He's the centerpiece. He's the center of it all. Let's live for him. Let's delight in him. Let's treasure him. Let's repent towards each other and stop pretending like the gospel is we have it all together and we're just going to coast on because we believed it in the past. The gospel is for us. We need it day by day, moment by moment. We need it through his word. We need it through silent meditation and prayer. We need it with the gathering of other believers. We need to encourage each other, hold each other accountable. This is what it means to be a part of a gospel-centered family. Is we say, we are going, we're going to make sure that we delight and treasure and pursue the glory of God. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? May we not leave this place. Fathers, in particular, look at me. Fathers, repent. Let's repent together. By the charade of second, we don't have to, okay? We are called to love the world, but we don't have to be loved by the world. Meaning we pursue and try to have everything in common with the world. Let's live differently. Let's put it on our calendars and say, from this time to this time, I have a meeting that, I, that is mandatory, that I cannot miss, and it is with Christ. He came. He left heaven and earth for you. God is spirit, and he took on flesh. He took on flesh so that you and I can know him, so that you and I can delight in him. Let's not leave this place. Let's respond in adequate worship. Let's look to our family and say, we're going to, as for us, we're going to delight in the Lord. We're going to pursue him. We're going to live for his glory. Why? Because he left everything for us. Non-believer in this room, look at me. If, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the call. That God left heaven for you. You say, well, Why? Yes, he wanted to make his glory known, but he wanted to share it with you. See, he lived the perfect life that you should have lived. He died the death that you deserve to die. He rose again for all of your sins to be covered so that now you can enter in. You can step in to relationship with God, and he will reveal his glory. He will reveal his glory. Christian, look at me. If you're a Christian in this room, you know what it's like to get not a tiny taste of a jolt of electricity from some secular moment, but the jolt of electricity for, I belong to God now. Let's pursue, let's pursue that tiny glimpse of glory together as a church. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about chasing a moment or a feeling or a climax of a worship song or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about daily pursuit of the presence of God. Let's commit to it. Let's say, gospel-centered families, do this. Before we can ever make a disciple, we have to be building up our own hearts to be citizens of the kingdom of God. That's my call today. Let's pray.